When I turn it on, I can't, like, turn it off. They keep passing the baton to the next character, and you see each one lose their mind mm. over this thing. I think it's Loki, one of Fincher's best, if not his best, it seems to go, still underappreciated. That's probably the creepiest part of the whole film, because it was like, yeah. no, that's my handwriting. Yeah. Come down to my <laughs> basement. Hold on. <laughs> yeah. No, don't go down there. <laughs> You're like yelling at the screen. Yeah, yeah. Why would you go in there? You know <laughs> this dude is shady. That's good life advice for anyone, I think. If you're looking for a killer, don't... Don't go in the basement. I can understand why people wouldn't like it, but if they don't like it, they're crazy. <laughs> hey everybody, and welcome to this episode of Flixwatcher Podcast. Today I'm joined by Jonathan. Hello. Phil. Hello. Helen. Hello. And we're going to be talking about the David Fincher classic, Zodiac. Thank you, as always, to the mighty people for the mighty, mighty tunes. And thanks to Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. Please do remember to write a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts anywhere you can do where you listen to the podcast because it really does help us. And you can join in the conversation with us on Twitter at FlixWatcherPod and on Instagram at FlixWatcher. Hello film fans, welcome to this episode of Flix Watcher Podcast. Joining us today we have Jonathan and Phil. If you would like to say hello and tell our listeners a little bit more about who you are and what you do, please. Yeah, hi guys, I'm Jonathan Foster. I work at the Prince Charles Cinema, so that's kind of the reason why we're here, I guess. Uh, yeah, myself and Phil. I'll, I'll, Phil, you go ahead and say hi as well. We'll, we'll do it back and forth. It'll be like ping pong. It'll be fun. Yeah, so that won't be confusing at all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hi. Go. Hi. Uh, I'm Phil. Uh, I also work at the Prince Charles, or I did before, you know, the, the world stopped turning. Um, before the end of days. Before the end of days. <laughs> yeah. We should have talked about that movie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you, it was your choice. Yeah, you, yeah, chose, yeah. you chose the film. It's not, it's not on Netflix. God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm Phil. I work at. The Prince Charles, I'm a stage manager there. Um, I'm also a co-host of the Podcast Cinecast with Jonathan. And we've been yeah. doing that for like the last year. And it turned into quite a weird little adventure we're doing over there. Why is it an adventure? And why did it take so long for you guys to get a, a podcast off the ground? Uh, well, I mean, we've been doing it for like almost two years now. So it's not, I mean, you know. We've been out there. We've been hustling. But uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So I, I started the cinema around 2014. Started from the bottom of it as a, as a uh, usher. Yeah. Selling tickets. Flipping that popcorn into the buckets. And uh, popping the beer. You know. Uh, but, yeah, Cleaning I, uh, up spoons. Yeah. Spoons. Oh, oh spoons. God. Oh God! Ellen, you don't know about the spoons, do you? I, I do know about it. I'm 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 not into the room, but I I know Good. about Smart. I know yeah. about the spoons. They <laughs> pay the bills, man. They pay the bills. Yeah. The spoons. <laughs> uh, no, I I yeah. So I've been I've been at the cinema since t- 2014. I worked my way up into uh, into the design office, uh, helping out in social media marketing and stuff. And that's where one day I was just uh, talking about like, hey, how can we make the cinema like a little bit more interesting with like letting our like our, you know it's one of the things we always know about people coming to the cinema is how much they like our staff 
Like that's one thing I see a lot when yeah. we see reviews and all that or social media comments. So I was like, how can we open up the world to the staff and also talk about the great program we have here and talk about films and all that. So that was kind of the original idea of the Patra Cinecast. And yeah, started that a couple of years ago now. And originally it kind of started, we were like talking about films that were on the program, but also every episode would have a different staff member on mm. or a special guest to talk about a film that was playing in that week. But yeah, now we live in weird times and uh, Phil and I have just lost our minds and we just <laughs> got really meta with everything. It's been a gradual so. process, what, yeah. What better to document that by doing a podcast? By recording it every week, yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah. You can chart it. <laughs> yeah, you can chart our insanity. I think we're coming on the other end now, yeah. It's, peak, it's coming back up a little bit. Yeah, we'll see. I think we've got some silly ideas where we can take it even further. Um, but yeah, these we just got really meta with it. I don't know, like where we just decided, like uh, saying we couldn't have people on all the time, just because you know it's it's harder with. I mean, you guys would know you have people on your podcast all the time, but when people don't have the best mic or headphones yeah. or whatever it is, it could be really difficult to record. So Phil and I, we just like started getting really creative with the episodes where we became the movie, like we were in the film and we talked about it. And yeah, it's been fun. <laughs> It'd be good to just have talk talk a minute about Prince Charles because I don't think everyone knows uh, what the, the cinema is and why it's so special mm-hmm. to to uh, certainly to London. But I've not come across a cinema another cinema that does the same thing that you guys do. And just to kind of level set, you guys are like slap bang in the middle of the West End of London, yet your prices aren't twenty pounds a ticket and that's not the only reason that people love you guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's wild. It's it's weird. Like it's weird being in the uh heart of of the West End where all the all the big cinemas are around, all the places that have the big premieres and stuff mm. are around, but like we're kind of tucked around the corner. And in a way almost sort of like a dirty little secret, which is kind of fun. Cuz obviously like I feel like our reputation is almost like the films we play, like, um, which is like, depending on what eyes you have, like what you're looking for, you're going to like see us in so many different ways. And that's almost like depending on what eyes you have for what kind of films you want to see, like that's what's going to be there at the cinema. So if you think we're like this place that, you know, that's like really classic and just like a great movie kino that's kino baby like kino. you know <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna find like you know citizen kane playing but if you like think we're just this dingy little place that plays goofy films and stuff well we've got the room playing so you know it's like that's our <laughs> we got something for everything yeah. something, something yeah. for everyone no. yeah. what's really cool about your cinema is it's even though i've seen many of these films beforehand prince charles is the first time i've seen like the gremlins on a big screen die hard on a big screen it's these kind of things which is just like absolutely absolutely delightful um about what you guys do and it's mm-hmm. and when we we talk Helen and I talk about it and our guests talk about the Prince Charles as, as a level set sometimes and often the big question is if you were going past the Prince Charles and the film of the of the day was on and you had 2 hours to kill would you go in and that's a that's a big kind of we kind of like we ask. yeah we've used it slightly the the small screen score questions gone the other way in that yeah suitable for a small screen or actually not suitable for the Prince Charles. So we've incorporated that into our our scoring over over the years. Yeah. Well, we can incorporate into that 
that into scoring later if you want. Absolutely. Let's do it. Well, let's, <laughs> we're talking today about Zodiac. Uh, and that was, whose choice was Zodiac? This was mine, Jonathan's. So Jonathan, can you tell us why you chose Zodiac? And also a synopsis, if you can do, well, you have to, within 60 seconds or less. Synopsis in 60 seconds. All right. Yeah, yeah Zodiac. We're talking about the, it's the true story of the investigation of the Zodiac killer, uh, who may or may not be Helen, according to her squad cast uh, name. Uh, that's a part of the official synopsis. Look it up on IMDb. It's a serial killer. You know, he's still unknown to this day. He's a real guy or girl or whoever. And, uh, you know, he's unknown. No one knows who did it. And he terrified San Francisco Bay in the late 60s and the 70s. And he taunted police with ciphers and letters. And, you know, the case becomes an obsession for three men. Who One's a cartoonist. It's Robert Graysmith. He's played by Mysterio. You got reporter Paul Avery, played by Iron Man. Mm -hmm. And then you got police inspector Dave Toshi, or Toshi, or I don't know. I can't figure that out. Played by the Incredible Hulk. So what you're saying, there's a Marvel connection here is what you're saying. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, it's really deep, guys. (laughs) It's deeper than the Zodiac killer itself. Sorry, this is going way over 60 seconds. Uh, And we see how their lives and careers are built and destroyed because of this crazy, crazy case. Why did you choose this Marvel pre precursor as a as the film for today? Well, because I think like the Tesseract was somewhere deep in this film, <laughs> and if they would have looked hard enough underneath, like one of those letters that the Zodiac had left, it was there in plain sight. No, I, I picked it because it's uh, somehow wasn't picked yet through your. Because you guys have a pretty insane list so far. Yeah, yeah, and uh, two hundred episodes or more, depending when when you guys hear this. Um, when you yeah. listeners hear this episode. Well, congratulations on that. I Thank mean, you. I'm, I'm here to give you guys props now. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I have, I've not seen this on your list. And uh, I was surprised by that for one. And two, I think everything else got taken. No, no, it's also, no I really like this film. This film rules. Uh, it's, it's, it's a good, I mean, I'm a white girl at heart. So my true crime passions come to light when I see Zodiac on the screen. <laughs> so, so a question for Phil and Helen, what, what are your thoughts on Zodiac and David Fincher in general? Well, I'm, I'm Fincher's bitch. I will love, I love David Fincher. <laughs> I will watch anything. In fact, I think I've seen all these films now. Um, and I, I really, really like Zodiac. I think I saw it at the cinema. I'm like 99.9% sure I saw it at the I cinema. Think Fincher's our most recurring director. And oh, wow. that's not to say much, but we've had seven on here and we've also had um, the Social, Social Network. Network. Yeah. yeah. Um, I really like this film. Um, I also really like that it slightly irritates people in that they don't get the closure they want in <laughs> sort of knowing who, who done it and that satisfaction of having that endings and it's kind of like two films kind of the first part is that kind of serial killer thing and then the second part's about like the obsession so i really really like this but i'll raise you that it's actually got five er cast members in so it's got more superheroes than more than er so you've got mark green anthony edwards and then the editor um played one of the characters in the earlier um, Which editor, sorry, the editor of The Chronicle. Of The Chronicle, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what's his name? Charles Terry. And then Donald Logue uh, was in it as well. He was Susan's boyfriend for a while. And Clea Duval had a bit part, and so did Adam Goldberg. So maybe maybe, maybe ER did it. <laughs> I always, <laughs> I always feel that like Adam Goldberg had a bigger part than he did, but he, he, does, he has like two lines. And he's one of those characters, he's one of those people I always, 
I always like seeing him in a film or, or a show because he's always a bit like bigger than the bigger than the thing he's in. But then maybe he, he did in the the original script, which from all accounts was much much longer than it appeared, right. and okay. was pretty huge to begin with, and was still pretty huge, and yeah. was kind of gotten around by the fact that David Fincher decided he'd make his actors speak faster to not have to yes. trim down the script. So. Faster, maybe he was faster. a bigger, bigger part in this this much bigger script, which maybe we'll get to learn more of one day. <laughs> what about yourself, Phil? I hate this movie. I hate it with a passion. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I mean it's great. I'm also um, a fan of Fincher. I think it's hard not to be. He's one of those every time I see a Fincher movie, I forget how good Fincher is, and it's like frustrating. I think, like Helen, I've seen pretty much everything. Apart, yeah. I haven't seen Mank. Yeah, I don't know what the consensus is on that yet. Um, uh, but this was good. This is a great movie. I mean, we we liked it so much. We did it. I think we did it sometime last year. We did like a little review of it on the podcast in the cast. And that just made me appreciate it even more. Um, but it's great. Yeah, like you said, a whodunit where you don't get to find out who done it, And that's, that's immensely satisfying in the other way and I love this sort of relay race of a movie this three part thing that it keeps passing the baton to the next character and you see each one lose their mind mm. over this thing and people still lose <laughs> yeah. their mind over it you know people still think he's out there I mean Ted Cruz you know the prime suspect could be the Zodiac killer <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's great I think it's low-key one of Fincher's best if not his best it seems to go still I think underappreciated it's the best it's the best, is it? It's the best. Okay. According the to Bong John ho he says it's his masterpiece. He'd write. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's right. That's interesting. I, I think one, <laughs> one of the things that always kind of strikes me about, uh, and I've recently watched The Night Stalker, which is a documentary series set in um, California as well, on, that's on Netflix. Yeah. And one of the things that strikes me about The Zodiac and, and Night Stalker is the distance these guys travel is huge. So... When you when you typically have um, a serial killer, they tend to stick in like a local area, like Yorkshire Ripper, for example, is like Yorkshire and a bit of you know East and West Yorkshire and South Yorkshire, not that big an area. Went into Lancashire, Manchester a bit, but the, California is like twice the size of the UK. And <laughs> give or take, the Ripper, there's, there's that one line where uh, Chloe Sweeney was saying to you, go to Sacramento, that's that's two hours away, and that's literally like. The, the length of the UK to get to a town to then come back in the same day. So <laughs> it's actually a really big deal. That this, I, mean, I guess he killed seven people, maybe more that have been uncharted, but he's covering a large range. And that's that's something that comes across in the film. And they've got Mullinax played by um, Casey Jones, uh, Elias Katias. Yeah, and you've got, yeah. um, <laughs> you've got the other detective, but also you have then um, the Hulk. And those jurisdictions are so far apart they're all kind of working on this case, but also they're holding things back from each other when you kind of just think, guys, share the wealth. Share Come on, the, man. It's, to, you, it's America. That's, that's, it always irritates me about America. It's the beauty so of America. Catch the beauty, you're trying to catch the person. <laughs> share it. Yeah. Where's your, where's your accent from, Jonathan? Um, well, I, my accent's not where I'm from. I don't really... I mean, I've just got like a really kind of normal American accent, but I'm from Virginia, so sort of the, okay. gate, the gateway to the South. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, you, you raise a good point. There's a couple of things there with like, I think the, the, the interesting thing about like serial killers and all that sort of stuff is that like, 
especially from this time period. This is kind of like the early, I, I don't know, like just the starting point of it all. And like all the serial killers that really start to make the news and stuff and Zodiac mm-hmm. became such a big thing because of the ciphers and all that. And you had all the killings and stuff and you're, I don't know, it, it can get so muddled with the Zodiac killer. Like there's two ways to look at it. Yes, in America, it's very big and um, traveling that big of a distance or whatever seems kind of crazy to be hunting in such a wide range. Like, but a lot of serial killers have done that. But then also like, that's pretty, I think as an American, I don't think about like a long drive, like Mm. the way people here in Britain do. Like driving two hours or whatever out of my way is like some you sometimes just do that like because there's no there'll be like no big cities really close by so you have to drive like two and a half hours to get to a city that has like something you actually need and uh, you know like (laughs) like like a fresh body to kill Um, you know and like and then yeah and then if you look at it on the other end like i said we're starting from it's the boom if you will and that's a horrible term to use for people who are going around killing people but it was the boom of serial killing and um where uh i guess like tech well not technology but knowledge of of this was becoming a bigger like uh and people were studying more and learning more and doing a lot more psychology into serial killing and kind of figuring it out and then you have like people seeing it became such a big story. It was all over the news. Like, and it was every paper in the area were flagging up these like ciphers and stuff. And you start to think, Oh, well, you know, maybe these people are just like copycats or something, you know, like there's some copycat killers out there who are, who are killing someone. And then there maybe the original guys doing the ciphers just is, you know, sending in a letter saying, Oh, that was me, you know, taking credit for it. Even though like, he might not have done it. I don't know. It, that's the the weird thing about Zodiac. And I think that's what makes this film so interesting is if like Fincher just like went out of his way to like go crazy into detail and like just really, really studied the case and just really went into depth. And he just went into like the time. He just like just went back in time. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of interesting. I think like Fincher was like, pretty close to the case as well I, I know he was like supposed to have done like a black dahlia murder film but then our boy brian de palma ended up doing it and um and then well, yeah well, he Dis- disney had the rights to this originally and yeah yeah the, it, like a disney it came, movie. came out of their hands and um no i don't like disney i was just thinking a disney film would have been a bit strange <laughs> yeah it would have been yeah. like <laughs> And uh, yeah, I can't remember the name of the, the script writer. I should have written that down. But yeah, they kind of snapped it up. And yeah, just there's just so much detail. And yeah. you know, he he only decided to use um, to include the murders that um, they could identify as definitely being the Zodiac because there yeah. were a couple of others yeah. not in the movie. Um, yeah, and just sort of researching kind of everything about the the locations you know you kind of like can see why he was attracted to the obsession in this when you learn more about kind of like david fincher because like him and robert downey jr clashed a bit on set because he didn't really understand his (laughs) needs for like 200 takes of like someone walking in the room and stuff and you're like i can see now why finch is attracted to the story (laughs) yeah does um was this before when did this come out was this before 2007 yeah. Okay, so this is before Robert Downey Jr. had been kind of 
Yeah, the resurgence. Led yeah. back into led back into the fold of Hollywood. Just before his big comeback. Lagging a bit. <laughs> I was just looking at Fincher's filmography before we before we go on. It's, it's, it's kind of varied, but also his films have a distinct kind of Fincher style. Um, so Alien 3, 7, The Game, Panic Room, Zodiac, Girl with a Dragon Tattoos, um, Social Network, Gone Girl, <laughs> Mank. There's a there's a vibe, but they also have their own kind of individuality to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, super dark. I'd say there's there's a darkness to them all all the way through, isn't there? Yeah. Uh, has anyone seen Mank? Um, and where does that rank? That's the latest one that went straight to Netflix. Yeah. So I I saw it. Um, I watched it last night. I think did I watch it last night? No, the other night. I watched it recently. I mean, I went into it thinking this. It's kind of, if 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 it hadn't been directed by David Fincher, I wouldn't have watched it. Um, <laughs> had you seen Had you seen Citizen Kane beforehand, or were you interested in Citizen Kane beforehand? So I watched Citizen Kane quite recently because we we had a conversation about whether I needed to watch it with with um, we're on a film WhatsApp group mm. with our film quiz team members, and I received some slack for having not watched Citizen Kane and should not have been questioning whether I needed to see it to watch Mank and should rectify it immediately, um, which I did. Um, and I don't know, I kind of feel as though I, I get it, but it's not my thing. And Citizen Kane, you mean? I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously for its time, it was amazing and shaped the way for cinema ever since. But it's not my favourite film and I'm, I'm glad I've... Same, my feelings are with Mank. I'm glad I've watched it. I'm not going to watch it again. Um, I mean, I was thinking about... Because obviously, like, Fight Club's probably my favourite David Fincher. And then maybe even this could be my second favourite now. Mm-hmm. Zodiac. Yeah, because I, I actually watched it over Christmas because I hadn't seen it in so long as, like, mm. a little treat. And then... When you chose it, I thought well, I could probably get away with not rewatching it because I've seen it so recently. But then I thought, well, actually, I'd quite like to, in you know, go back in there and have another go on it, even though it's probably only been what like a month, month and a bit. So um, yeah, Mank is at the bottom, Zodiac <laughs> near the top. <laughs> uh, I'm, I've I've still not seen Mank yet. We had it at the cinema, but uh, I. Yeah, I've still not. I've, I, I wanted to see it at the cinema if possible, and we kind of like got shut down like two weeks after we reopened. Mm. And um, yeah, we had make on, and it was it was great. It seemed like people were enjoying it, but uh, yeah, I I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll wait. I, I I sometimes don't see new films until like months and months and months later. You know, I like it old well, school. That, you know, you just you just have to wait. It, though, you know? that's how you guys work. Yeah, you join yeah. perfect cinema for yourselves. <laughs> I like to let it well, like fester for a bit, you know. <laughs> I was just going to say, a kind of any any bits with Mark Ruffalo and Anthony Edwards in it, <laughs> because the the reason that Anthony Edwards was cast is because um, Fincher basically said that he was to carry the movie, that he wanted someone who you could kind of like trust in and believe in, and their kind of like relationship that they have you know, you, you kind of want them to win. Like they are like the good guys. They're like, you really, really want them to get there and win. And in the end that when, when they kind of like split up, you lose that little bit. 
And I think that's when the kind of mood shifts for me. Yeah, I feel like it has a really nice wave of it. Like it's you start off strong, kind of like just getting in, kind of in the middle of the the killing starting, and like just you you don't even really learn much about the background of who the characters are that you you know you're following throughout the film. You just pick up where they're at in that certain point of their lives when they just are learning about the case and are really involved more so through the eyes of like Robert Graysmith. But I feel like each act almost kind of takes you through each character. So it's like a story of the three men. Right. Uh, I'm a, I'm partial to the last third of it. I really enjoy, you know, watching Iron Man, the Hulk run around, Mm -hmm. but I'm a, I'm a, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal boy. He just, there's something to him, he just because he starts off maybe the, perhaps the most innocent, and watching his sort of slow descent into madness is endlessly rewatchable. And I, seeing how it affects his personal life, you get that more than the other ones. I mean, the others fall into like quite dire straits, you know, addictions and so forth. But you see uh, him how much it strains his relationship with the. Uh, uh, Chloe Savigny um, and he's the, he's the one who gets closeness to it closeness to finding out who it is if it is one person there's something to that bit that, those are the moments I remember for such a dark and intense movie I find it it's almost like a comfort movie which is a weird thing to say about Nodiac but, or any Fincher movie um, but yeah I just I could always watch it I've seen it more times um, than it's probably healthy I think Gyllenhaal's always an interesting actor for me, and this is one where he's mm-hmm. um, he, he tends to go full into it. Uh, super crazy Nocturne. I think we've had him quite a few times as well. We've had him on Prisoners, Nocturne, Prisoners, and um, oh. Nightcrawler mm. episodes. Oh, Nightcrawler, yeah, um, that's great. And, and and each time he's he doesn't hold back. And this is obviously his character's reserved here, but you can see the acting he's doing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. acting his little chops off, isn't he? Yeah. I feel like he's really vulnerable in this film. Like he just really mm. like, I don't know, like you, like Phil said, you could just see how much he just gets engrossed in it. I think that's one of the best parts of it. Like, um, I think I was saying that like, it's like, I love the three acts of it. And I love all the different characters and where they're going and stuff. But like the way his character in particular, like, you know, he gets so involved and it's like, you have the whole thing of like, you know, the greatest game is like what the Zodiac is obsessed with and blah, blah, blah. Mm. But it's like, in turn, finding the Zodiac is the greatest game for all three of these guys, but particularly for Robert Graysmith's character. Like, like, you know, he's just so immersed into it and he loses his mind almost to it. And he like starts accusing people who may not even be like the Zodiac killer because he's so, I mean, and that's that scene where he goes into that basement of that man's house and he's oh, just yeah. like looking, it's so terrifying, terrifying. but you know, like, I, like, I don't even think that guy is a real character in the case. I think that's something that, you know, Fincher added in a little bit of an oh, embellishment. Okay. But, like, it's it's just, like, really insane how, like, just far he's gone and stuff. And that's, that like, that scene, I feel like, sort of encompasses how far he's gone. And then it's just like, dude, this is too far. <laughs> like, this is too far. <laughs> I got to get out of here. Yeah. It, was, it was that was quite uh that's probably the creepiest part of the whole film because it was like yeah. no that's my handwriting yeah. come down to my basement hold on <laughs> yeah. 
No, don't go down there. <laughs> You're like yelling at the screen. Yeah, and Fincher, yeah. It's like a thing Fincher gets off on. If you've seen Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, there's a very similar scene in that movie where someone is, you know, invited in and you're like, why? Why would you go in there? You know <laughs> this dude is shady, even if you're not sure for certain he's the killer. The only reason you're interested in him is because you're looking for a killer. So maybe don't go down any dark basement. Yeah, exactly. That's good life advice for anyone, I think. If you're looking for a killer, don't go don't downstairs go with any strange person. Yeah. But if you're looking for candy, definitely go. Oh, yeah. You know? That's where they keep the best candy. <laughs> uh, is there anything else you guys want to say before we head to the scores? Well, there's two great things about Zodiac that's better than the film and the case and everything. It's the fact that, one, uh, Jennifer Aniston is responsible for like helping get Jake Gyllenhaal and Mark Ruffalo cast in this film. So okay. casting... Director Jennifer Aniston. And two, the greatest bubble boy reunion ever with Jake Gyllenhaal and John Carroll Lynch, father and son. Let's do it. Bubble boy. Right. We're here to talk what? about bubble boy. <laughs> Not enough people do talk about that film. It's great. I agree. Film. It is great. If you guys want to hear that, go to Pod Charles Cinecast. We've got a great bubble boy episode. It's really dumb. You've heard the first thing, guys. Go to Pod Charles Cinecast. Bubble boy. Yeah. For all your bubble boy need. Okay, guys, let's head to the scores. I'm Sam Clements, host of the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival, another podcast in the Stripped Media family, a podcast that celebrates movies under 90 minutes long. Each episode, I'm joined by a special guest who selects a movie to join our prestigious lineup. Past guests have come from the worlds of film, television, music, food, comedy, and podcasting. Search for us now on the app you're currently listening to this podcast or join us at 90minfilmfest.com. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome to the FlixWatcher scoring system. All of our scores are out of five. You may have decimal places if you wish. And we will start with you, please, Jonathan, with your recommendability. Yeah, I would say this This is like got to be a five for me. It's a bit of a brutal watch, but I mean, like it could be a bit tough and scary and just like, but it's really gripping. And I just think like it's, I feel like you could recommend and whoever's watching it should, mm. in theory, have a good time watching it. Phil. Um, I'll duck it a point because of what you just said. I think it <laughs> people may not enjoy it. I think it's not, I think it's a hard one to recommend because you need you know, if you're squeamish, it's not gonna be the best time. Or mm. if you don't like long somewhat dull movies, um but where you know, you don't really get any answers. Um I can understand why people wouldn't like it, but if they don't like it, they're crazy. 
4.5. Helen. Um, I'm going to join Phil in the 4.5 club. I, I love it. I think it's, I think it is amazing. And I would be really keen to see the three hours and eight minute cut, which apparently was the, the first cut, just out of curiosity. But um, I know a couple of people who've watched it and they're like, it's really boring. I don't like it. And it is pretty violent. <laughs> like the violence is quite intense. There's not much of it, but the violence that is in yeah. there is quite intense. Yeah, it starts and, off quite steep with it, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah. And like the, the the stabbing scene as well is pretty intense. And it's it, it's kind of long as well. Um, but yeah, I love it. 4.5, but it's definitely not for everyone. I'm going to go 4.1 here. Um, I think a lot of people will have issues with... When I recommend films... Donnie Darko, something like this that doesn't have a clear resolution. People <laughs> whine at me. Uh, so, <laughs> but you don't know. Result, you don't need those kind of people in your life, yeah. you know. But this is real as well. That's yeah. the thing. That's like, yeah, you know, Donnie Darko. It's like Donnie Darko. Real. Don't get That's me. Don't story. get me. Don't get me started on Donnie. Jonathan, the huge Richard <laughs> Kelly fan. I actually like Donnie Darko. I just think Richard Kelly's he's a hack. <laughs> well, well, let's well hot takes. <laughs> um, yeah, I think some people are just well, I'd, I'd, they will complain if I recommend this to them. Um, <laughs> and also, I do think it's a bit long for, and also I, I can see it being labelled as slow as well. So, um, but I think people who are interested in, in kind of drawn out narrative and uh, procedural, well, not procedural, the the research it is interesting to see both journalists and detectives pouring over this case yeah uh even though gray smith wasn't a, a journalist is you know it's kind of interesting seeing that that side the two sides of the coin following a case and kind of delving into it um repeat viewing score jonathan uh i'll i'll give this a 4.5 but i'll kind of tackle on the back of what you're saying about it being a bit slow or or long and stuff i um it is a bit long it's like what two and a half hours or so like mm-hmm. the, the the version that's widely out there but it i feel like it goes really fast to be honest like i i don't i feel like i'm pretty engrossed in this film and i like i feel like it just goes really smoothly through and i'm really engaging like what's going on and there's another score for that later so I'll shut up about that part but you know it's like it i, I feel like i can watch this film and it's one of those films I have a few that like I was just like if I see it I'm like oh, I'm kind of like you know scrolling through Netflix and I see it I'm like I can almost watch that right now you know and that's you know I think that's the definition of repeat viewing. Well, <laughs> um, I think similar. I mean, I just said that it's uh, morbidly rewatchable. I won't stick it out, but if it's on TV, I'll leave it on for a bit. Um, I think it's one of those that gives you something new every time you watch it because it's so detailed and it's yeah. so such a uh, faithful recreation of a time. Um, and it, it's fun to try and figure it out. So I'll, I'll go a little bit higher. Maybe a, I'm enjoying the death number point. So 4.8. 4. <laughs> 4. 4.8. Helen. Yeah, so I was trying to think how many times I've seen it. I've seen it more times in the past like month than I probably have in the past like ten years. Um, but yeah, I'm going to give it a four. I really enjoyed rewatching it very recently, and it does give you like lots to re-enjoy. And there's there's just so much detail in it. And like you were saying, it's it's a really great period piece as well. If you're kind of into that, mm. and I hadn't realised that. Um, 
the Mark Ruffalo character was like the basis for obviously the Dirty Harry film and who Bullet was based on as well, which I picked up on watching it again yep. recently. So there's just like so much kind of pop culture within it as well that it's just it's really fascinating if you've got the time to to revisit it. Yeah, I will, I'll definitely dig deep into that because uh, I, I did wonder how close the Zodiac Scorpio thing was um, for Dirty Harry versus this. What, so what's your score, Helen? Four, please. Four. Uh, I'm going to go for uh, 3.2 here. I I watched it quite recently for the first time, I should say, maybe like four, six months ago. Um, and when this and similar kind of dilemma to Helen, I was like, should I, can I get away with not watching it again? And I just, I just had to. Um, and, you know, I'm glad I did because otherwise I wouldn't be able to remember a lot of the things that happened. Um, but I don't think I'm going to watch it that often. And I think before I watch it, I definitely want to see a documentary about everything that happened in this, um, especially because there's no resolution. I'd like to see how those pieces did fall together, you know, compare it and contrast. So, yeah, 3.5. Um, small screen score. Jonathan? Um you know, I'll I'll talk I'll a full point off of a perfect score. I'll give it a four. I'm not that big of a stickler. You know, I work at a cinema, but I'm not that big stick big of a stickler for like cinema screen versus TVs and stuff. I mean, I don't do don't do the smartphone thing. But um, <laughs> but yeah, it's like you know, if you have a nice sized TV at your house, you know, you're gonna enjoy this film. And to be honest, how long it is, maybe it's kind of a you know a nice film to watch at home because you can pause it and you. Know, Go to the toilet, get some water, whatever, you know. So um, I kind of do think this is this would be quite easy to to stop at sections like people with the Irishman. You can maybe stop after twenty minutes. Yeah, yeah. Come back the next day, carry on next twenty yeah. minutes. Turn uh, into uh, a mini uh, clearing. I, yeah, exactly. I think that's a cop out, though. You know, <laughs> if you want a mini series, go watch Mindhunter. You know, like which is which is outstanding. This, yeah, and it's great. I love it. And this is like, if you like Mindhunter, this film. Like you know, is the precursor. It it's like the pilot for Mindhunter in a way. Like David <laughs> uh, David Fincher must have just been like, here you see this film. Give me money, please. And Netflix is like, yes, okay. So <laughs> okay, we get it. You like serial killers? Go ahead. <laughs> I forgot about Mindhunter's Fincher uh, joint, and that's actually probably my favorite Fincher. Thinking about it, maybe seven, maybe maybe seven or Mindhunters. Uh, Helen, sorry, Phil. Uh, what's your Small screen score. Um, I think I'm more of a stickler than Jonathan about the big screen thing. Uh, I think if you, I, well, if I can see something on the big screen, I will. I think it's just better. Um, but for this one, because it's quite intimate and scary, for lack of a better term, it does kind of work watching it at home on TV with the light turned down. Mm. Um don't watch it on the phone. Can't I? Because again, I can't imagine watching a movie on the phone. I think I see people on the tube doing it, and I think uh, they kick freak it out of me hands, out. You? Yeah, it's just yeah. like, can you not just make it home? You're not even watching it with the sound on. What the hell? Um, so I think it. I think it might even be better uh, on the small screen then. So screw it. Five. I don't know. I want to throw a five in there, just to mess Hello. up the algorithm. <laughs> doesn't, no, it doesn't, up, it doesn't mess up the algorithm. That's what spreadsheets are for. <laughs> what Excel was made for. <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I saw the cinema. I can visualise the cinema ticket in my head. Um, so, and I, I enjoyed seeing it at the cinema. 
I've obviously since not seen it in the cinema. I was thinking I'd quite like to see it as a, a double bill with um, Spike Lee's The Summer of Sam. I think that would be yeah. a good uh, oh, a good yeah. evening That's a great out. movie. Um, that sounds like something that Prince Charles Cinema would do. Do you guys uh, know anyone who yeah, works there? Jonathan's writing, writing it down now. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would yeah, be, I mean, that I would be my good one. I don't know if I could convince them to play Summer of Sam, but um, I love Summer of Sam, but I don't know. I don't know if uh, it'll go down well. Because it's a uh, it's a funny one, but so nice. It would be a great if for me, and I'm with you, Helen. Great, yeah, great double name. bill. Uh, so, what's your <laughs> small screen score, Helen? Um, I kind of agree with with the pretty much everything you you both said. What did you guys give it? Five. I give it five. five. I give it four. Four and a half. Uh, I'm gonna go four five. Um, I don't really care about seeing this in cinema. I think it works. I think it works quite nicely at home. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, with the lights down, as as Phil said, um, so I don't think the soundtrack. The soundtrack, I thought, actually, I thought was a bit jarring. Sometimes the needle drops, I thought, were a bit weird. Um, I've, I've had I, the hurdy gurdy man in my head for <laughs> yeah. Like, hurdy gurdy man. The, the Donovan song. I got it out my head from watching Over Christmas, and then rewatched this, and now it's in my head, and I just hear it all the time. We should all pile on on Kobe right now because I, th- I, I, I do want to say that the soundtrack is like, a gr- and you go back to like it being a time, like something from the time. It's a great soundtrack mm-hmm. from that era. And uh, we, we talked about this when we were talking about this film on our podcast about how you have so many films that are like from this era that just keep doing the same stupid Forrest Gump soundtrack over and over. And this this film like has something completely different and it's awesome you got like santana and donovan it's great i think it's a way that they seem to just drop it for like full volume sometimes into into the scene where i just didn't think it needed that <laughs> uh and it took me out of the it's like what's what's going on here whereas the rest of it was quite somber uh or understated yeah i think so it wasn't necessarily the sound it wasn't the song choice specifically it was more the fact that just yeah, the volume yeah. slammed it in there. Slammed I think it right in there. trying to beat you over the head. This is a weird story, brother. This is gonna be strange. You're gonna, you're not gonna feel good about it because it's gonna be weird afterwards. They didn't catch uh, this they... guy. No. <laughs> good luck sleeping. Finch has got a good relationship. It's him that works a lot with uh, Atticus Ross and um, Trent Reznor. Trent Reznor, and yeah, I really, lo- I really, really love the. Seven soundtrack, and I really, really yeah. love the um, social network one. So I think perhaps I'm just a bit more disappointed because I yeah. I, well, he I had like David. He had David Shire on this one, and that was, was like uh, because he really was into all all the president's men, and that was sort of the idea he wanted to do for this was tell it mm. like all the president's men, which he does really. It fits that mold, and he I think used the actual music from all the president's men, like when they were editing and. David Shire just came in and actually just did a score for it, which was pretty enter- entertaining. But they did a weird thing where they use like based on the twelve signs of the zodiac, and like there's different pieces that kind of go along with each of the signs, and that's why some of the music's just so weird and it's just like really strange, <laughs> and it kind of goes into like the moods of the characters and stuff. And everyone has a theme, which I think is pretty entertaining. It's uh, so fine for me. Yeah, engagement score. Uh, I I have five like like I said earlier. Um, it's one of these films where I'm really just like when I turn it on, I just like get really lost in it. I think like you know I joked earlier at the top about being a white girl at heart, you know, but like I I really like true crime. I really 
I love the Zodiac case. I think I like it. I like it more because it's unsolved and it's like one of the mm-hmm. things you just you want to know more and you want to like like you're just. Wasn't me? Wasn't me? Did I do it? Uh, yeah, like I, I really, you know, I just, I, I, lo- I love this film. I think it's something that when I turn it on, I can't like turn it off. So it's good. So five, Phil. Uh, I think I'll go with John. I think I'll give it a five as well, just because it, it is sort of haunting. I'll throw it on and I have to keep watching it. It's not seeped into your bones a little bit, and mm. you try and figure it out, even though you know the outcome. And yeah, I mean, it's hard not to be a true crime fan. There's so much of it out there. And this is just a really good example of it. It's just because it's not, I don't feel like it's exploitative in any way. It doesn't sort of digress too much with the actual killing. It's the actual bare bone consequences on the people trying to take it down. And then just something, I don't know, really, um, really watchable about three men slowly losing their mind in seventies <laughs> California. I wish every movie would like that. No five. Helen. Yeah, I'm gonna give it a five as well. Um there's just thing about kind of the the sensitivity to the tellings of the murders and you know, which is quite rare for films in this genre where it tends to be kind of like as shocking and exploitative as possible and like this just seems completely different. Um, and also, I file it under the subgenre of Mark Ruffalo films where he's in his pants as well. So, uh... and Does that come <laughs> up on Netflix? Yeah, it does, it does in my special folder. <laughs> uh, five. Eel. Engagement score, first time was a five. Subsequently, because I knew where I was going, it's... It, doesn't, it didn't grab me at the end and some, there were some points where I just kind of thought Jake Gyllenhaal was being a bit of a dick like when he visited that <laughs> lady in, in, the, in prison and his name was Rick I was like no it wasn't was like, why are you trying to, you're not why are you trying to force feed her a name you're trying to find out aren't you um, but I did work what I forgot the first time and enjoyed this time and I'm sure I'll enjoy it in subsequent viewings is the, the cast is actually quite wide and varied like yeah. Elias Cotillas who um, you manipulated Casey Jones. Casey Jones. Yeah, Casey Jones. Um, for life. Total power. Exactly. <laughs> Total power to you, Um But John Carroll Lynch, uh, Philip Baker Hall. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. His first of two Zodiac films. And who's the other guy? Sorry, he, he played in, Man- in Manhunter. Brian uh, Cox. Brian Cox. There you go. Brian Cox. But yeah, yeah, there's, yeah, lots, yeah. Of, there's lots of other people in. I think the cast is quite deep. Um, yeah. The surface cast is quite deep. Um, so, yeah, but. 3.5 and that gives us an overall score of 4.49 it's pretty strong wow strong yeah. Strong. yeah that's impressive it looked like you just worked it off the top of your head but I know I it's a spreadsheet yeah, right there. yeah. Oh. math I podcast did. over here spreadsheets. <laughs> <laughs> um, should we head to Twitter I think we had a, we had a, a message for this do you follow us guys on Twitter we are at FlixWatcherPod uh, and it's great to follow us because as well as um telling you guys when the next episode comes out we also do a little tweet in advance of recording so you can take part as well and we had uh, a tweet or two in this case helen yeah so this is from phil trangan photo i often show people this film as they've never heard of it documentary levels of murky crime detail and social commentary mixed with sharp character development from a seriously sympathetic cast I think it's Finch's most underrated film, and he gives that four and a half stars. 
So that kind of tallies in with exactly what we've talked about today and the yeah. Netflix Watcher scores. So we were uh, great. <laughs> John and Phil, can you tell us where we can find you online and uh, say sayonara to all the listeners? Yeah, you can find me personally at tall for all T-A-L, the number 4-A-L-L, on Twitter, Instagram, and I have a band on Facebook. And uh, yeah, collectively, we are the Pod Charles Cinecast, the PCC podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And we started another little thing called Breadcrumbs, the Breadcrumbs Collective, um, mm-hmm. which is a silly little, well, one, it's a family of podcasts. So we've got our own, the Pod Charles Cinecast. We've got our new little podcast called the Breadcrumbs this breadcrumbs is just like a anti-podcast it's the weirdest thing you'll ever listen to uh but it's, it's weird amazing. stories <laughs> uh it's goofy editing it's uh just to the po- to the punch and it's all like 30 minute episodes so if you like weird weird goofy stories real stories fake stories fake ads um just madness then you can find us there so that's at breadcrumbs pod and we're gonna do a lot of new podcasts as well myself and phil and other people that are part of the breadcrumbs collective breadcrumbs collective love it phil uh you could find me uh at faraway fad on twitter and in real life um you can hear me talking shit on the podcast cinecast and the breadcrumbs pod which like jonathan said is the in the nicest way uh the anti-podcast uh, we have so much fun on that um uh, please join us on on those shows um I don't have really much else going on outside of the podcast beyond, you know, balling up on the couch at home, um, you know, just watching movies. Um, Constant ball. This boy, yeah, he's always in a ball. Always in a ball. But thank you. Thank you very much for having us. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for having us. And to all your listeners who come to the Prince Charles Cinema, thanks for coming out and enjoying us. We talk about you guys all the time. So hopefully yeah. that's infiltrated their <laughs> mind, infected their minds. Go, go, go. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming. Thank you, much, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Enjoyed this episode of Flix Watcher Podcast? Why not leave us a five star review on iTunes? You can also follow us at Flix Watcher Pod on Twitter, and we're at Flix Watcher on Instagram. Thanks as always to the mighty people for their mighty, mighty tunes and Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. If you're looking to get your podcast edited as sweet as this, get in touch with Ben and that's Rockwood, R-O-K-K, Wood Audio. Tell him Flix Watcher sent you. just heard a stripped media production.